Hey folks and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll sit down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing newly released, or somewhat newly released, The Fablemans by Steven Spielberg, Babylon by Damien Chazelle, Strange World by Don Hall, and Kwai Wynn, Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery by Ryan Johnson, and finally, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro. It's going to be a great show, folks, so stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Tommy Boy, how's it going? Happy uh, 2023. Happy 2023. We're in it. Yep. We're still counting this as a 2022 show. <laughs> right, right. It's our cleanup. This is our cleanup it, it episode. Definitely cleanup. There might be some more cleanup. You know, this, it was a, a messy bit. year. <laughs> I will say, I think uh, it's almost all the films I wanted this year, with potentially, with uh, the exception of potentially just one. Really? And that we're pretty much hitting out with. So That's I like great. that we have this That's 2022. Great. A lot of these are pretty much new releases still. Yeah, yeah, pretty like much. Said, Fablemans, ah, you might be able to catch still a little bit in theaters. Yeah. It was, it was Babylon. hard to catch it in theaters. Okay, okay. So <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll it's on its right Yeah, there, it's yeah. on its way out. Yeah. But overall, these are all still pretty new releases. It's also cleanup. Yeah, I don't know. Marcel the Shell, maybe? Oh, we'll, is we'll, that the other one? We'll yeah. hit soon. But other than that, I don't think we missed all too much. Yeah, there's not too much. I think this is um, all with these counting. It's mm-hmm. 83 new releases for this year that we've covered. Yeah. The, 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 the shame of it is that usually you do get some quality towards the end of the year. You know what I mean? And then uh, we're in a rush. We did a little Christmas special. Exactly. like the Christmas, Yeah. So it makes it a little bit um, tight. It makes it tight. But exactly. I like that we're doing this. Folks, if you're wondering what happened last week, um, again, we have the Tom Daly's, our year in review. <laughs> We're actually doing that. That's going to come out next year. Yep. Well, and well, no. It's, well, this year. <laughs> it's coming out this year, but next week. Right, um, right. The reason why is we wanted to kind of get these out there. Yeah. Um, some of these are big movies. Some of these are going to be talked about. They're going to be talking mm-hmm. about for Oscars. They have been already nominated for some of them for yeah. Golden Globes. So it's just important maybe to have those in our year in review. Mm-hmm. Truly get the year over with. And then next week you can expect our very good special. It's our year in review. The Tom Daly's, our mm-hmm. first ever year. You don't got to watch the Oscars this year. <laughs> you watch the Tom Daly's. Oscars well, you listen canceled. to the Tom Daly's. Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, Vin. Will Smith uh, is going to come on the podcast <laughs> and slap us. <laughs> Oh, speaking of which, Emancipation is not on the list either. It's not. But that's okay. Uh, I, I'm not boycotting him. Don't worry. But also, I just really no. haven't heard a lot of buzz about it, period. So it hasn't been on my radar. Maybe yeah, we'll I don't think it. he's pun has put his time in quite yet. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, like, I, 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 there's been a lot of dialogue around it, actually, as well. If there's there been has enough been, yeah, time. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So. But anyway. There's, yeah, gossip aside. <laughs> yeah. No real reason why, you know, no big reason why you did these. Obviously, it's just or no real mystery. All right. 
it's, again, it's a cleanup year. These are mm-hmm. some big films, and they all came out either in you know late November or sometime in sometime in December. It's also weird because like Glass Onion came out in movies for only two weeks. Uh, yeah, very and weird then difficult to get, schedule. and now it's finally on Netflix. Yeah. Um, same thing with Pinocchio too, because I need to be in there for two weeks. Yep, yep. in order to be you know Oscar worthy and everything mm-hmm. like that. But okay, so we're going to start with what was first released at least back in November. This is The Fablemans, directed by Steven Spielberg. I just wanted to make a note. We have talked about him in the past, mm-hmm. where he is getting older. He's in his seventies, and he's got mm. a lot lined up, and yep. probably because he's got these ideas, he has these things he's want to do, and legitimately, sure. he is just getting older. Absolutely. So every big. Film he do- well every film he does is going to be big and you're hoping that it's really good right and right. It doesn't fall flat like maybe a Ready Player One or something like that mm, but true. this is the Fableman Steven Spielberg Vin what do we kind of get for this film yeah so uh, I have to be honest uh, walking into this film definitely a little burnt out on this subgenre uh, of uh, family family exactly the mature family genre genre. Um, you know this 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 mature family movie is also a soft biopic for for the director. That's uh, definitely adds to a little bit of enjoyment uh, because it's tracking back what is potentially real uh, in Spielberg's life. Uh, and like most biopics, uh, it's kind of seeing what's what's actually adds up to the reality, uh, what actually adds up to you know what was maybe just put into the movie because it is not Spielberg specifically. The Fablemans is a right. you know a fictional family. Just very much the sun matches a lot of Spielberg's life. As far as the genre, though, like I said, a little burnt out. We got the wonderful Belfast from Kenneth Branagh. Yep. Um, I mean, we gave it an 82. Phenomenal, but kind of kicked off the whole thing. Uh, this year, we covered Armageddon Time uh, from James Gray. I cited it in that review. I'm, I was already getting kind of burnt out on it. There were Felt definitely some others preachy. in there, too. Yeah. Come On, Come On was on there. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And even some this year, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I You know, I'm not saying that I hate directors doing their own kind of puff piece, if you will, or coming of age, uh, or that they're a story that can't be told. But uh, I think uh, Daddy Spielberg coming up to bat, that is a different caliber Mm, of director to take a crack at one of these. It's it's kind of a different story altogether. Yeah, The Fablemans, uh, by the way the title sounds, almost a (laughs) sitcom-like in its tone. Uh, The tone of this film is very upbeat and focused on moral lessons. You know, a really good thing about Spielberg's character insert, Sammy Fableman, is that his coming of age, uh, his uh, his passion, his challenge is around filmmaking. It's about making movies, which is an enjoyable plot thread, honestly. Um, movies about movies can be really good. Exactly. Really good. Exactly. Uh, I will say I was wrong maybe to completely lump this into... Belfast or Armageddon Time just because it is such a, again, a soft biopic for Spielberg's life down to, you know, moments that he's talked about in interviews, obviously in the press circuit of this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's talking about how much he's pulling from his life. Specific even film projects that he works on in in you know Sammy as a child match the type of early film projects that Spielberg has put out there. It's much more biographical than you think, and I think that is a is a reason maybe to 
regardless of my score, if you love Spielberg, if you're just curious in more of a documentary mm, yeah, type of way. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, this, this, kind of, this, this fills a couple different shoes, which is interesting for the film. But that <laughs> is kind of cool. It could be a, just a study of this director by this director almost exactly. of himself. Yeah. Exactly. Autobiographical. Uh, and definitely, in the sense, it still fits in that subgenre of this kind of, uh, I guess, another way to describe it, just instead of saying mature family drama, it's kind of like a soured happiness. There's a bittersweet to these so, so it's kind of billed of as a flat drama could yeah. you say it deserves to be a little like side note of comedy definitely oh yeah and okay. it's so upbeat it's so oh, um, right. not as an insult so milk toast I really not as an insult <laughs> not as an insult yeah <laughs> uh, it's it's so like listen we're gonna get through this as a family it's, you know everyone's weird and you know it's it's just very upbeat and that's okay. where I even say like it's called The Fablemans. It feels, it sounds like a sitcom. In ways, it, really it almost does. has like, uh, you know, uh, Full House vibes that it's, it's, it's comedy, it's drama, but it's all moral, morally focused. So. Is it at all? Okay. I'm thinking of family dramas. So maybe it's not the first ones, obviously, but mm-hmm. the one that could be connected as far back as you can go to connect it to maybe what's been coming out. Mm. Maybe Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, I think that's maybe uh, a great example of a starter of yeah. what this subgenre could be. But uh, that had a lot of that had some darkness and some sadness absolutely. though to it. You know? uh, that's that's worth a rewatch, absolutely. Yeah. But you're saying that this pulled this is like way too feel good. Uh it it's 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 a little bit all over the place, and mostly because of the mother character, uh, oh, which we'll okay. get to in just so a bit. So she she adds a dynamic to it. Yeah, she adds a whole, whole <laughs> <laughs> too much. Uh, I, had to, I had to delete some notes because I thought it was just so I was I was ripping into her too much. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think overall though this is much much more upbeat than. Uh, any of the examples that we've talked about okay. so far. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. You know that, that that flavor, that tone, the approach. It wasn't exactly my bag, but you know, uh, like I said, this 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 movie fills multiple shoes. Uh, I think there is enjoyment in an entirely separate sphere or silo of this film that could just be for someone curious about the beats of Spielberg's life mm. and falling in love with film, and then maybe even appreciating some amateur filmmaking techniques. So, cool. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot that the film juggles. The story is also directly about filmmaking and and the craft that interests Sammy as a character uh, in making movies. It's you know, I enjoyed a lot of the mock production, especially oh yeah, I can just imagine. him being with kids and and uh, and and just kind of slapping things together and and obviously the the movies themselves do they look like what Spielberg's probably produced or, or directed back in the fifties? No. You know, what right? I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the angles is like, all right, well, that's clearly made in you know the twenty twenty present you know? day, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, at the same time, there's a lot of enjoyment to seeing amateur production. I think anyone that even remotely likes movies or has picked up a camera to do anything, do anything, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, from social media to home movies, um, you can appreciate a little bit of the the craft and him discovering that as a child. Yeah, it's so Spielberg too. I mean, he he dropped out of high school, yeah, and he just yeah. loved picking up the camera and mm-hmm. just like. That's where it all started for him. Yep, yep. There's a lot of enjoyment. There's also a lot of shout-outs to movies of the 50s and 60s. 
Uh, mm, you know, there's that's a, good. you know, just, just the huge amount of amateur uh, filmmaking techniques. It's just, it's, I, I think my recommendation is for the film geek to maybe check this out, just in the same way that the film geek is going to be naturally interested yep. in Spielberg's life or an, uh, an approximation of Spielberg's life. Yeah, it's a movie that kind of might, that's what I'm saying about movies about movies can sometimes be really good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually part of the reason, I mean, just to call back to this year, part of the reason why I also actually kind of liked Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. even take the Nick Cage away out of it. It's just like, I kind of like, I kind of yeah. like how they talk about movies a little bit. Absolutely. Um, like, something even more would be like Hugo. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, with Scorsese, and then, of course, we have Babylon coming up, which also mm. takes on very early era Hollywood. Oh, and boy, in a different way. But we'll get, <laughs> yeah, in, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into in it in almost a uh, polar opposite <laughs> way, if there ever was one. Yeah. But it's a good note to say that even though Sammy Fableman and the Fablemans in general is yeah. kind of Spielberg esque as far as like actually representing himself, yep. for just the film nerd or into that kind of era. Yep. It is kind of, it brings you back. It's a little time capsule in its own sense. Yeah, and that's why this was almost hard to rate because it does live in two separate uh, two separate spaces for enjoyment. Um, there's also a very special cameo at the end of the film by a guest star that if you do watch this film, again, you know, a film nerd or, or really anyone that's just into movies is going to really love. Uh, so there, there's a okay. lot there and, and calls back to a famous uh, moment in Spielberg's life uh, and early career as well. Uh, Writing-wise, this continues the partnership with Tony Kushner as well, uh, which started all the way back in 2005's Munich. Good to see the, the collaboration continue. Yeah, well, Munich, don't forget, we had always, we had talked about when we recorded that episode mm-hmm. where how it was kind of a forgotten film by Spielberg. Yeah. But it was nominated for a Best Film. Mm-hmm. And I believe he gave it an 85. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I really enjoyed Munich. I, maybe in, in similarities, there's uh, there's an approach to family that I think is good in, in both of those films, oddly enough, uh, and how families hmm. can be more than just, you know, blood relatives Munich, I would Right. Munich, I would say friendships. Sure, deep friendships, yeah. connectivities. People. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, both long movies, though. So how does this two, you know, <laughs> it's two and a half hours of probably a lot of writing and, uh, yeah. and dialogue with the family. I mean, you know. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fat to trim here, but at the same time, that's where it's like, who am I to cut or or to judge a cut of Spielberg's life, of how important a, a moment seems to be? Sure, but uh, as far as a film, as far as watching a movie goes, mm-hmm. you know, you still need to keep it. Yeah. Tight and a good package. And this is not tight and a good package. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Specifically, uh, and, and for those that have seen it or plan to see it, there's there's a sequence as well in the reception of, um, of Sammy's films that comes out of left field and even with the themes of the story really just is like why was this put in why 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 did that matter Uh, okay and that's where i lean i mean maybe that was a moment in spielberg's early career uh, or or developing years uh, that made him want to make film um but uh, it, it's it's it definitely is a bit too long for its own good, which will be a theme this week, <laughs> as it's a theme every week. Uh, let's get into some of the bad. The mom, Michelle wow. Williams. Michelle Williams, a fine actress. I like her. I think she does. You know, I, I want to be very clear. I feel like she does a good job in performance. It is the character specifically that I have a problem with. Okay, here. and the writing probably then a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Mitzi Fableman is a flat-out annoying character. Mm. Um, the performances uh, here again is not the issue. Don't get me wrong, but. She is a hard pill to swallow at times okay. on screen. And for how much agency she has over the plot and how things progress and how much yeah. she affects. I mean, obviously she's, she's around mom. a lot. Yeah, she's, yeah, exactly. You know, the mother's 
manic and eccentric ways just got on my nerve almost every single scene. Mm, uh, like, good. really took me out of it. Uh, just like ridiculous, like things that like are so not cool and 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 just unenjoyable as far as a character in these manic ways. I think at worst, I feel it's a a very cartoonish depiction of possibly some mental illness in in, in the mm, woman, okay, or in the in this character, yeah, yeah. Fableman. But uh, just on a baseline, it's just like a- every time I saw she was on scene, I was just like, oh, boy. Let's, it's taken you out of it. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> like how Skyler was for me in Breaking Bad. Sure, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Definitely a Skyler effect. <laughs> like I said, I mean, it, maybe at worst it's cartoonish how she's portrayed, but um, it just, man, oh, it just, just so many idiotic scenes. And I think what's worse is that the film has then this tone that is so accepting and is so without criticism and so without any kind right, of grit right. that it's like, all right, I mean, no one's going to oppose her being a freaking maniac, you know? <laughs> uh, right, you're sitting there being like, really? No one else sees this? I know. Am I the only one? Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. So, so I guess I'm at the point in my career as a film critic, Tom, that I'm now uh, digging into people's moms. <laughs> no. Hey, we got a lot more years to go. Here, right. We just got past our first right, main right. year. Spielberg's going to kick my ass for <laughs> criticizing his mom. <laughs> um, but, but you know, preference, uh, emotion even aside from that, seriously though, I, I you know, I would argue this film is arguably co-led by her for how much uh, the character controls the plot and and uh, so much time spotlights how unlikable this character is. Okay. Uh, d- and that's what I mean. I think, you know, on the documentary, on the uh, biographical side, yeah. on the film tech side, a lot of enjoyment here. Story plot, what the film is actually about, morals of all this family tone. Yeah. I didn't like it. And almost entirely on the shoulder of, uh, of you were at, It was just agitating. Oh, my God. So, so well, let's so okay, so Paul, Paul Dano is also in a, a decent amount, and then yep. of course you have Sammy Fableman, the main kid, mm-hmm. which is Gabriel Labelle. Yep, able to help out with anything? Like, were they enjoyable? <laughs> I, was, was, luckily, you, it is a story about Sammy. You know, what I mean, Sammy is you know he's at a weird age. It's almost like he's coming out of kid age, but yeah. he's still not quite like adultish yep, yet. Yep. So how how was he though? Uh, if he was good. Oh, okay. All right, uh, good, and good. if anything, I, I thought he brought a lot of. I mean, I don't. I, you know, who knows what Spielberg like was like as an actual kid? But he brought right. a lot of likeness to how he, you know, presumably would be uh, developing okay, at the time. Sure. There's also a lot of themes around being raised in kind of a Jewish faith uh, and 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 finding what that means for the development in different areas and in California at the time. So. It, it, it's just it all boils back down to uh, Mitzi Fableman. Uh, total killed the, the entire experience for me. So <laughs> uh, I'll end with notes on editing uh, because this is going long already. Uh, the film does have a multi-year arc that allows us to see the highs and lows of the family, uh, and as any family would go through. Uh, and honestly, if it wasn't for the film being so closely tied to Spielberg's real life. I really think you could shave a solid 40 minutes off this thing. Wow. Solid oh, that's 40 a lot. Minutes, that's yeah. a lot. Uh, and, and would be so much stronger of a movie. I feel like the emotional beats uh, around the family's highs and lows would hit a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could still achieve this kind of bio- biographical uh, feel for, for Sammy being a stand-in for, for Spielberg. But instead, this comes out as the soft biopic I expected and gets even a softer recommendation on the side of story alone. We're going to go ahead and give the favorite. Fableman's a 65. Okay, 65. 
I think that's a very fair score. Um, and I, when you look at how much praise, and when mm. you look at the other critics and the other scoring sites and everything sure, like that, sure. um, it's just like you're looking at it just going, there's no way. Mm. There's no way it's that good. And I, I don't know why it's getting such high praise, honestly. And I don't know if it's just because it's a Spielberg movie, so that's where we're at now. <laughs> right, right. Or you it's know, kind or of it's, end of his career. So Right, Spielberg talking about himself, so this needs to be good. But yep. it's it was really hyped. Yep. And I just I wasn't getting it. I just, yep. you know what I mean? It's and, really getting good scores on oh, places. Oh, for sure, yeah. for sure. And, and don't get me wrong, there is enjoyment. So if anything... Folks at home, uh, understand, again, I, I like I said in the very beginning, I am kind of burnt out on this genre, and I didn't feel like this brought a, a unique or interesting tone to it besides these biographical elements. So. Okay. All right, 65 for The Fablemans. Coming out next, I think this was an early December release, um, maybe late November. Still in theaters, kind of. This is <laughs> Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle, which we know from Whiplash, which we love. And uh, La La From Land. La La Land, which you love. Yep. What did we? Caught it. I was leaving it on the ground there for you to pick up. <laughs> what you love? So it's <laughs> all right. It, it's it's rated R, three hours and nine minutes. We're talking about early Hollywood there, and Whiplash had this lightness because it was small, small mm, cast, small story, mm, quick, said. unbelievably yep. good story. Absolutely, La La Land expanded on that, but mm-hmm. you know it was. A nice package still. A musical, but also music-infused yes. into it. Yep. Uh, this is a big film, mm. and it's tackling a big genre, kind of, a, yeah. a big story. Yeah, oh yeah. How does Damien take us through this three hours and nine minutes? What did we get? It is, Tom, oh. I kid you not, this is the messiest film of the year. This is messier than Amsterdam. Really? This is messier than Elvis. This is wow. a, this is, this is Pigpen, <laughs> the Pigpen Award. <laughs> 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 this is the messiest film I, I think I've seen in a long time. I've done a decent amount of research on it. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So I don't want to give anything away, but okay. just hearing even even this film starting and how mm. we get going mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. just a lot. Oh, yeah. You're in it. Uh, it is, I, I'll return to this thought uh, at, at the end, but really the elevator pitch here is that it is a soup with every spice imaginable. Uh, okay. It is, it is too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, you know, whatever, whatever kind of turn of phrase you want. Uh, let me tell you, it is all of it. Okay. Uh, so, sure. um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you introduced, I, I am a big fan of this director. You know, for a while, Damien Chenzel was in the running for my own kind of best of the 2010s. Uh, that I can yeah. safely say is Villeneuve now. Uh, for a while there, I mean, he was such an electric. Director, I really mean that. Electric. I, I, I still think new guy on the new yeah. guy on the street. Although Whiplash was now, I think 2014. Yeah, well, yeah, it's going back. So he has been around, but he started so young. Yep, yeah. Which you don't get anymore. Like Paul Thomas Anderson started sure, so young. Sure, yeah. Stuff. Some he of these was, big films. So absolutely, which is great. But how does this take us? I mean, because correct me if I'm wrong. This is we're really we're almost Fablemans was post World War II film yep. era. We're in mm-hmm. pre World War II. Oh yeah, early early Hollywood. Early early. So what are we tackling? Are we ta- are we are we tackling the films themselves? Is it just the, is it early Hollywood aura, kind of? Does uh, that make sense? Or Yes, it, it's it's silent film era uh, and right. everything that entails. I mean, the story mostly is a duo between Margot Robbie and Diego Calva, um, but it tracks a lot of characters, actually, uh, in their development of a rising Hollywood in the 1920s. Okay, yeah, the top billing is definitely Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Calva. They're the ones who are... 
being pushed at this. Yeah, like even you yeah. would say Pitt takes a third or fourth seat. I, I would say he takes a third seat, uh, and then as well, I mean, there's there's kind of just a handful of other. It's it's very much an ensemble. Okay. Uh, because we, it's we, three hours and nine minutes, and it's yeah, a big movie. Yeah, I mean, he's got plenty of plenty yeah. of room on the on the canvas. <laughs> uh, so uh, we get a lot of um, uh, tracking of these characters through the time, and and I'll I'll save the the hot take of what I think this movie is trying to be for a little bit. Okay. Uh, but it is absolutely tracking multiple arcs with the time of a rising Hollywood, specifically going from silent film to sound. That's basically the, the pitch here. Gotcha. Um, old L.A. is sold as being vile, raunchy, uh, and outright gross in, in spots. Um, I will say I'll give kind of brownie points for a, a unique depiction of old L.A. Okay. Uh, Was he pulling from certain stories and tellings? I, or? I, I did a lot of research into the truth and not, especially around actors. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatnot. yeah. There's not, there's, I mean, there's kind of like nods to who these actors are supposed to be. No yeah. one's actually like, you know, uh, nonfiction. Right. Uh, and, and for what almost feels like a hit piece to L.A. at times, uh, at times it is also a tremendous, and I mean that, tremendous love letter to the silent film era, uh, tech of cinema, and 1920s California, like California culture, yeah. if you will, at the time. I mean, that pitch right there, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, yeah. But where does it get lost in its own sauce? Oh, it gets lost Wait. in all the sauce. Okay. <laughs> all the sauce is in the soup. Um <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll focus on good for a little bit because I think there is really a lot to love. And, I, and I, again, I, I love this director. I saw moments that captured just as much magic mm-hmm. as I see in Whiplash and La La Land. Okay. But there's, those moments are also surrounded by really, really bad trash. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Chinzel is dealing with fictional characters but is able to craft a true-to-life story that speaks to the lives of many silent film movie stars and the transition from silent to sound, okay, uh, which is very enjoyable. You know, not something that's really touched upon. Uh, some other highlights, I think Chazelle's love of music is on perfect display here. There's such rhythm to scenes. There's such energy to scenes. And I think if anyone's going to make a roaring 20s, 19, mm-hmm. you know, 1920s type of, you know, flapper movie, well, guess what? Uh, Chazelle d- definitely did a wonderful job. That's very him, uh, isn't it? Yeah. Because you look yeah. at those kids from Whiplash and La La Land, he yep. knows that. He That's, knows It's it. in his blood almost, yeah. yeah. If there is a cornerstone of his directing, it is rhythm within the scene, whether music yeah. is there or not, mm-hmm. honestly. Yep. And I got to say, once again, some brownie points. I mean, I wanted to love this thing. I wanted this to come out as best of the year, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, for how much I like this director. You know, there, there's even some melodies and notes to the La La Land soundtrack, which I, as, as a lover of that film, I, I loved. I, I thought it was a wonderful addition. But there is some, oh my God, Tom, there is outright trash uh, within this movie. As it's far a as... filet mignon on a, on a dumpster. Uh, wow. Okay. So, is, yeah. I mean, he's, he's writing here as well. He's directing writing. Yes. Yes. So where is it the writing? Is it the acting that falls? Is it just the directing him leading the charge? That's it's just like, what are you, what are you doing here? Yeah, it's it a- is really, what are you doing here? Okay, like, all right. You know better than this. <laughs> okay. Like, come on. The script uh, feels very cheap at times um, and really soils its own setup. Dialogue is packed with curses and modern slang despite the 1920s sound or the 1920s mm, Okay. Setting. And as well as copious fart and shit and vomit jokes. Really? Yeah, like it's low, straight up low brow at times. 
I it's like why such an odd tone. Was that a thing of the twenties and thirties film? I, I mean, I it, it definitely plays into this raunchy depiction of L.A. Okay, certainly. Uh, but just but, like too much. It's just oh like, my god! It's 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 downright like an American Pie movie or something at times. Like it's like a <laughs> it has like so many. Uh, and I'm not trying to be a stick in the mud or anything like that. I'm saying it's just vastly inappropriate when the same type of dramatic beats, yeah, emotional characters are written within the film, and then they're never a few step steps away from a fart joke. You know, it is unreal how he layered this. Film. I wonder why he's pulling that for. I'd like. I don't know. I, <laughs> I was not about it, though. I was like, that's trash. <laughs> I think I think this is kind of a comedy uh, of the many genres it juggles. Mm, I think yeah. this is a kind of a comedy most of all. Maybe we'll talk really? about 40% comedy, but that's because everything else is in like 10% <laughs> intervals. Really? Uh, yeah. Wow, okay. And I, think I thought it was that... leaning heavily on like just history and... and there's uh, that. Uh, drama, presumably. Yeah. There, I mean, there's that. There's there's <laughs> drama. There's musical elements. There's... I mean, it's it's everything. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It really is a mess. Uh, and I think just I having... So, I can't <laughs> believe this. This is going to play so well next week. You have no idea. <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yep. Again, I, I think the priority being comedy in his writing style, I think it, it just, it, it soiled it. He, his, right. his own yeah. writing just was not there. Uh, and, and you can see it because it has like almost tear-jerking moments. J- the same emotion we can see in Whiplash and La La Land. Yeah. If anything, First Man as well. Mm. Uh, which isn't written by him, but you know he's able to conjure these things. His writing is... Man, uh, well, perfect... his writing in those films are so purposeful. Exactly. I mean, you take you take it a bare bones film like Whiplash. Yep. It it needs to be good yeah. because it has not much. Well, it doesn't have anything else to fall back on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if the writing's not there, then the actors can't be there. Yeah. Because yeah. you'd have bad writing. You know what I mean? It starts Absolutely. with the writing, then you have the actors. Absolutely. And he was like, I don't know. He was like a he was like a knife. Yep. You know what I mean? He was he was sharp. He was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it's also. I mean, this long run time can't help anything. It, it can't. Yeah. It can't. And boy, do I have notes. Okay. <laughs> uh, one last note with this with this weird mismatch of um, of uh, uh, garbage pale kids humor uh, in this in this uh, <laughs> you know love letter to nineteen twenties. Um, it's perfectly shown in actually Margot Robbie's character that will have such emotional moments and. It's followed up with a with a vomit joke. It's just wildly, wildly inappropriate, and just cheapens the whole experience yeah. uh, of everything. It's a shame because moments really work, and when they work, they really seriously work. But it's never fifteen minutes away. It's never a step away from something you know the, the lowest brow humor I think I've seen all year, which is crazy coming out of you know <laughs> out of this. It's also entirely too long, so much so that. There are entire sequences that I was like, in no way is this even adds anything. Not tied to really anything. Can be totally left, totally left on the cutting room floor. One of the sequences that is very prominent in the uh, in the trailer is this uh, uh, Margot Robbie's scream. She who wants to see me fight a snake, Mm. Uh, and this snake scene needed to be cut. Need like I, I I will I will campaign for it to be cut for the DVD release. Like I'm telling you, uh, it it was it was it was absolutely just the you could feel the whole the whole theater as well. Like what is this? These were the moments where people were getting up to go to the bathroom. These were the moments that people were chattering a little bit. You know, I'm not a huge it, fan of like test screenings or anything like that, but 
clearly that couldn't have made it through any sort of like marketing product. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's test screening these days. I wonder how much they even do of it. You know, I mean it's it's weird that for if you're going to be at this long of a movie, you you need people to be engaged. Yes, you need to have a reason yep. for people to stay in the seats. Mm-hmm. The theater couldn't have been packed, could it be? I don't no, think this no. Doing so and I, I was late to the punch as well. Okay, so. yeah, well, that's true. But I did. Have, so it was, I was wrong. I thought it came out in like early December. It came out December twenty third. Okay, it came okay. out in theaters. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it hasn't actually been in theaters too long. So not too bad. Yeah, yeah. that might have been you know some you know uh, pre release. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Type of, yeah, yeah. exactly. But honestly, core to the problem with length, the film just tries to juggle too much. It's trying to be an ensemble character story. It's trying to be cinematic history, you know, kind of a a history piece. Uh, it's trying to be a raunchy comedy. It's a lot. It's 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 everything. And yeah, it's, it's it, too it's, much. It's too much. It does not land. Uh, and this is different than like a a Bong Joon Ho where it juggles many genres but works. Ooh, but he he yes. Well, that's why we like him so much. Exactly. And this is uh, you know falling on its face. Uh, there was a point that I made earlier in a lot of episodes of the podcast that sometimes the best thing a director's needs is brackets, and this is a perfect example of Chanzel needed some limitations here, and I hate to say that about a director-writer, like clearly this is 100% his vision. Mm. It needed it needed a second hand, though, to so, refine what was great, and mostly that's taking every fart joke out. <laughs> it's, it's unreal. <laughs> and cutting it up and, and, and just, it, and probably knocking, again, you probably could have knocked in a half hour off oh, of this. Oh, maybe more, maybe a full hour. I mean, it, that is insane. Yeah. It really depends on what what you think hits. If you think the comedy hits... Well, I don't know. If you think this kind of like cinema, 1920s California history, if that hits Which would be cool. I mean, that's why I would always want to watch it. Yeah. Exactly. There are really good moments, but... Are are there things to be said for Brad Pitt, Robbie, uh, you know, Margot Robbie's performances, you know, Diego Calva? Are there shining little, you know, silver linings or no? Absolutely. But again, my, my summary of it, and this definitely goes into performances, every good moment is probably bookended by two bad moments. Okay. Uh, and, and nowhere he, he near. He is hurt. Damien Chantel is hurting the film. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He's just hurting the actual it's, what's it's good. too yeah. much. Yeah. Folks, I was having a real hard time uh, putting my finger on this one, but about two hours in, <laughs> I finally got it. And I had a eureka <laughs> moment. I said to myself, this is just Boogie Nights. Uh, it is an ensemble cast tracking ups and downs, rise and falls through an establishing industry. Wow. An industry of film. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely trying to be Boogie Nights and fails. Fails miserably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Meanders too much because Boogie Nights you absolutely love. Absolutely. Absolutely. Boogie Nights was one of the best films we covered yet on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But no joke. It is. That is the that is the blueprint. And wow. maybe that blueprint there is just. I mean it makes sense. Rise and fall. You know multi-year arc and multiple characters. But even. Mm, jugg- juggling genres. Yeah. Juggling genres. Even its approach to how the industry that they participate in has such a play on their life. Yeah. That, that again, it's 100% boogie, light, boogie nights. So, um, <laughs> so I the... cracked the code, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's true to the structure, the rise and fall, when times are good, scenes being a joy to watch. When times are bad, we flip the drama. Now in Babylon, the good times are filled with sexy parties and, fat, and fart jokes. Uh, when it flips to the drama, it, it just cheapens the whole thing. Yeah. And that, I think, is my problem. In fact, some of the tonal shifts in the fall are outright insane. For those that do see the film, Tobey Maguire's inclusion is exactly what I'm referring to in that the film operates in such extremes that it kind of just soils the whole experience. 
believe me, I'd like to see Tobey Maguire. I mean, give give the guy some work. Right, right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, the real shame is just how good some of the drama is and the second half of the film is. I see such potential. I see amazing moments in this mm, movie. Yeah. Uh, but for everything that works, no matter how well it works, uh, there is still some sort of scene that is either wildly inappropriate or just flat out bad. Uh, and it's a real shame. Seriously, even to the very last moment of the film, it probably has one of my favorite sequences, and then it's followed up with a very cheap montage. And it's like, what is going on? Mm, to the weird. very last minutes of this film. Yeah. This is, it's juggling both. It's, it's picking you up and dropping you constantly. Yeah. yeah. So that's where, uh, again, folks, I return to. It is soup with every spice jammed into it. We're going to give this one the old cane mutiny. Babylon Woo! gets the 39. Wow, 39%. Yeah. Uh, and, wow, and I wasn't expecting that. Like I said, I mean... <laughs> I mean, I heard things, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You heard right. <laughs> you you heard right. If I heard anything, part of that's in there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, and I think critics and uh, and audiences are agreement. Uh, everyone's yeah, uh, everyone's there's, real. There's some other sites though that actually are not hmm. that are that are different than you. A lot. Oh really? Mm-hmm, yeah. In good ways or bad? I, there's people apparently that enjoyed it more than you. Mm, but mm. I don't know. It's you know. I think that's fair if this is what you're saying. I can't yeah. believe how long it is. Oh, the, the yeah. three hours of nine is really shocking. And yeah. that's why it gets the 39. If if I had to give a logic to the 39, 40 does not illustrate that this film is going to... You're going to yeah. walk away of this, this exhausted. There's, wow. there's, a, there's a toll that this film has. So. Uh, a question on the past two films we've ever covered. Sure. I, I have a feeling that Fableman's was shot on digital and Babylon he shot with film. I would have liked both to be shot on film. Mm. I honestly don't know for sure. Okay, all right, just wondering. Um, and sometimes I'm a bad judge of that because so much happens in post-editing as well Yeah, you know, to make a film look a certain I way. I think I'm more of a stickler than you are yeah. with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Good. <laughs> Diversify a little bit. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's something I was thinking about because if we're dealing with late early cinema, it would be cool if we were using some of the tech or at least, mm. you know what I mean? Or at least like film versus digital, which is, you know, very, very... Right. It can be different. Absolutely. And, you know, digital and something was to pay not attention at all to. thing back then. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so 39 for Babylon. That's that's a t- tough one to go recommend to go sit down for three hours it and nine really minutes. Is. That's it, tough. It's, it's tough to recommend when there's a fart joke around every corner. Every corner. It's weird. Weird raunchy. Like, what the hell was he thinking? I don't know. Well, <laughs> we'll see what he does next. I mean, he's definitely, like I said, he's very young. Um, he's got a lot of movies to come out still, yeah. so we'll see. But boy, Babylon with a thirty-nine percent, still rooting for yeah. you, Damien. Absolutely, big time. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so we're gonna go on here to probably the most obscure one of the list. Probably <laughs> yeah. the most un, you know, not as well known. I'll be a little bit quicker with this. <laughs> <laughs> this is our P. This is rated PG, and this is our breezy hour and forty-two. This is Strange World. Um, it's our animated film. What do we have with Strange World under this Disney flick? Here? Uh, yep, uh, this is very clearly, and I hate to say it like this, but kind of a B-list release. Don Hall did Ryan the Last Dragon, uh, did Big Hero Six, did Moana. Big He's, movies, yeah, big movies. I mean, yeah, some of those, especially as far as you know, awards and all that. So, yeah, but like we see what was done for him. Uh, this is a torch pass movie, uh, as happens in Disney's directing space. Mm-hmm. Describe um, that a bit. Someone will come on as a co-director for an, anim- an animated feature, and then, and then that they'll will give be, the next one. Yeah, they'll get their solo. So, so you're talking about Kwai Win. She also direct. I think it's a woman. Uh, Kwai Win. No, I think it's a guy. Okay, so whatever he. <laughs> uh, he also wrote this though. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that that's where that kind of torch pass. 
passes. But like mm-hmm. I said, sadly, much like 2021's Rye on the Last Dragon, this is very squarely in the B release for Disney. Yeah. Uh, that they're pumping it out, heavily edited for Chinese markets probably. Uh, so out of Turning Red and Lightyear, clearly this was the outlier production-wise, but... Guess what? I, I despise Lightyear, so the bar's set pretty low. <laughs> set very low. Yeah. But for this, what is our main storyline here? Yeah. So Strange World is a family story about a line of explorers, the Clades. Wait. Yeah, yeah, the Clades. They're human, but they're not Earthling. They live on this, like, alien world uh, and a, a wild alien planet. The story focuses on three generations, the grandfather, the father, and the son. And it kind of is about comparing their inherited traits, but also contrasting their upbringings. Sci-fi-wise, this is like a journey to the center of the Earth. It's focusing on going inward, uh, wild monsters, uh, fantastical you know, sights and sounds, and, and, and wild biology. And the film is very... It accomplishes a lot of visual eye candy. Okay. It's unfortunately in the story beats that... I was really hating this thing. Uh, so much dialogue is sent around this <laughs> fake therapy talk. It is like, oh my God, it's so nauseating, Tom. Fake uh, therapy talk? It's like everyone's like, uh, every line of dialogue is supposed to like get in some sort of like emotional intelligence uh, or or therapy that is is happening with it. And obviously this is a Pixar formula that's being done. You know, Pixar created that type of, you know, emotional beats within a children's right. story. Right, in a good way though. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, this is clearly trying to be an imposter to that and failing in a big way. You know, mm. don't get me wrong. I have zero issue with the message it's trying to tell. It is typical for Disney Innovations to kind of follow suit with what Pixar does. You know, they, they kind of fall in the shadow of Pixar. But it is near constant. I mean, every line, anytime characters are interacting, they are just airing their dirty laundry. And it is just flat out annoying. It's annoying, yeah. Oh, my God. And off of, like, nothing problems because it is a children's movie. Right. Off of, like, yeah. clearly something that if you talked maybe one more sentence, it'd be resolved. But nope, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so terrible. Again, fake therapy talk. That's that's the new criticism. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a lot of those in 2023. It, it's really nothing very, it's nothing more than surface level, and um, it just meshes very poorly with this deep sci fi exploration movie. Yeah, like how was the animation, the world, the yeah, strange world it was itself? Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, anytime there are two characters on screen, I like when there's one character. Right. Because they're just like, but that, you know, they're, yeah. they're bewildered by it. Two characters on screen, they're airing it out. It, it's an uh, angry fighting movie, you know, quarreling right. movie. Right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's annoying. At worst, I think. This ignores uh, one of the larger characters, the son, uh, who is actually a uh, a Disney-led homosexual character. And you can feel the moments where, like with all Disney films, it's going to be cut in editing for you know the Chinese release. Uh, it's going to be cut for international releases where that's not going to fly. And I think most yeah. of all, the story's not about that at all. And it's like, well, that's the missed opportunity. That would have been a wonderful story in discovering new worlds. You know, it could have played right, into right, it. Right, right, yeah. Instead, we got to worry about like, oh, dad, you didn't raise me right. Well, why didn't you raise me? Oh, he was doing other things. Just talk about it. I don't know. <laughs> it was flat out annoying. I feel like this week I was just <laughs> I was just getting annoyed with the films. This one did not do. I mean, no one was yeah, really no loving one. this. No I feel one. like it's getting higher critic stuff because I feel like they have to be nice again. Bingo, I just feel because like because of the fake therapy talk. It's, that, it's well, nauseating. and if you have and if you have 
like you have a main gay character kind of sure. and that kind of stuff. You know, that's just how it is. I mean, but, let's just be real. I mean, if anything, this this film puts that to the side to to the back burner. You right, know? right. Um, uh, yeah, and it goes for the 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 lower hanging fruit with it. So. Luckily, I would say the style on screen holds up, and again, this kind of uh, homage to Journey of the Center of the Earth with Disney stylings is 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 very well executed upon. I think design wise, I was really in love and saved the whole thing because I definitely wasn't digging the plot or or the, right. the dialogue. Right, pretty to look at at least. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, some really cool sci-fi designs. I'm talking like bioluminescent pterodactyls and. Uh, uh, you know, entirely gelatinous creatures, electric plants, walking islands. I mean, some really cool yeah, stuff. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's where I, I come a little bit lighter. As much as I was annoyed by this, I mean, it is a children's film. Uh, and and I think my critique is that children are going to be bored by some of that emotional beat stuff. Yep. Um, you ha- you, yeah, you really got to balance that well. And Pix- that's what makes Pixar so damn good. Yeah. Especially even their older stuff. Oh, yeah. Th- that balancing act of it. And they're able to it, achieve it in a genuine way, not a forced way. And certainly oh, one so that true. even meshes with the... With and the, by the way, kids pick up on that, too. Absolutely. Like, kids totally pick up on that kind of stuff. I know, the bickering isn't even fun. I mean, the bickering is just like, oh, my God. <laughs> Say one more line of dialogue and the conflict is done. That's it. You know, they're talking already. They're, 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 they're bitching at each other already. Uh, yeah. The list goes on. And uh, though Avatar may have crushed this uh, in theaters. I don't um, think it was Avatar. I think this crushed itself. <laughs> I did, seriously, this crushed itself. Yeah. Well, design-wise, I really did love it. It kind of saved the whole thing. Okay, all right. So uh, that's about it for my thoughts, though. Uh, narrative isn't bad. Dialogue is a headache. Uh, and I can't overstate how in-your-face this fake therapy talk is. I mean, it's every duo scene. Put it on for some eye candy. And I certainly want to be a little bit more you know, light-handed in my approach to this, because if this gives birth to a a kid's love in sci-fi, mission accomplished, you know, if this is the gateway drug to watch them, to have them watch more science fiction, I think that's phenomenal. We're going to go ahead and give Strange Worlds a 52. 52, okay. I mean, the movie just came and went. It has higher ratings than I think it should. Yeah. And I think because of those reasons that we talked about. Yeah. Uh, it's, It's not reflective in actual people it's not reflective at all with the mm-hmm. money it's grossing mm-hmm. or for the attention it's getting or for it's it's and i can't state it, i don't at, it's almost at, at this point go back to making one one film a year yeah because oh because God. this or two con- you, know, you got disney animations you get pixar basically yeah i get uh, yeah the four a year is it, it's just not working yeah make your teams really solidified mm-hmm. really true great people yep i would rather less and have better absolutely yeah Absolutely. Like I said, I can't overstate. I mean, it, this could go deeper into its social message or anything like that. I think that would have been better than it's this right. This fake, you know, it's fabricated. It's manufactured drama. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that's, that's, that's been, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. There you go. That's your 52% for Strange <laughs> yes. World. It's the shortest review we've ever done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for sci-fi, no less. Um, All right, Finn. Well, you know what that means. We're going to go ahead uh, on that on that sour <laughs> note. We'll jump in here to our producer segment here before we get on to our last two films. Uh, like we said, they're all kind of new releases Yep, yep. So before we do that, we want to thank our producer, which is Jeremy Moskowitz for this oh. week. Coming in again. And Jeremy came in with $100. Wow. Uh, yeah, Jeremy came in with $100. It's a huge donation. He wrote in a small note, and he just said, Benny and Tommy. <laughs> he goes, don't hold back. You don't know what friends are until you've made a couple enemies. Ooh, 
love it. And I really like that. I thought it was a really great short, sweet note, Jeremy. Uh, I got to be honest with you. You know, the new year is coming. You know, some of our re-upping is happening as far as like our, our, the money and everything like that. Um, Jeremy, $100 is can't tell it's so nice of you keeping the wheels on the wagon so it really <laughs> exactly right on your shoulders itself but no jeremy i mean i can't tell you how kind that is how much we appreciate it that value that you're getting that you're giving back to us mm-hmm. that itself just means so much to us yep uh, really is quite amazing and if people are listening and if you're wondering what's going on a lot of you know the deal already it's a value for value model. We're completely producer supported. So you go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com and you yourself become an actual producer of the daily ratings. So Jeremy, for episode 64, you're the executive producer. And as a whole, you're just a producer of the daily ratings. We thank you so much for that. And the whole idea is, are you getting value from the podcast, from the website? Are you enjoying this a little bit more? Are you mm-hmm. starting to watch movies, getting to film a little bit more? Uh, if you show, show us some value back and... Jeremy decided to give $100, which is so kind. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need $100 from everybody. If everybody just gave a little bit, you know what I mean? And five bucks here, uh, five bucks there. We have some subscriptions plans if you want to do monthly, mm-hmm. one-time donations. It's totally fine. It's whatever you want. You can go ahead and pick a number and just send our way. You write in a note along with it, just like Jeremy did. It could be short and sweet like him. It could be longer if you want. Ask us sure. questions. Ask us anything, critiques, comments. Um, as I always say, it's a through line to you. Yep. So we just want to, again, Jeremy, thank you so much for your producership of the Daily Ratings once again. And anyone who also wants to join in, it's dailyratings.com. Head to the donations tab. And again, become a producer today. Absolutely. All right, Vince. So with that, we're going to keep it going here. Uh, we have our last two films. And that came out kind of recently. There's both Netflixes. Mm. They were in theaters for a short period because they need to be in order to be counted as a real movie, basically. <laughs> right, yeah, there was a weird release on Glass Onion. Uh, we're going to start with, yeah, we're going to start with Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Yep. We're back. This is film two of the three. I heard that. Is it only three? Yeah, because they, okay. the, they had the first one and I heard right, that right. they got brought back for two more. Okay. So okay. this is number two and we'll have a third one. I was told they, Netflix bought it for something like $400 million. Really? D- yeah. Well, I the, obviously the property know the, rights the to purchase, it. but uh, didn't know the, the dollar. Well, bro. apparently Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson each got $100 million <sighs> each to do it. That's Big just payday. reported. I don't know Big if that's payday. true. But it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I watched this. Yeah, oh, so it'd be really? fun to talk about it. Okay. I don't think I'll give it Tommy Two Shoes. Okay. Um, you don't know, feel strong enough about it? I don't feel strong enough about it. Fair enough. I feel strong about some things about it. Okay. But let's get into it. Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. How did it fare and what are we dealing with this time around? Yeah, so uh, I-, I would say ultimately don't worry about watching Knives Out 2019. I think hmm. uh, this is an entirely new castry role, uh, very large ones, and uh, and it really as the is the case with all these murder mystery revivals that we're getting that is so you know in in fashion right now in vogue. Yeah, the only reoccurring is Daniel Craig, of course. Yes, exactly. And he kind of he had a number two. Kind of right, kind of a right man, a right hand man in the first film. Uh yes, I think uh, Lakeith uh, Stanfield. Right, so uh, don't expect him back. Yes, exactly. So it's it's just Craig uh, as his uh, master detective character uh, Benoit Blanc. Unfortunately, uh, I gotta say, I mean, I, I I don't think this movie was bad. I think this movie was a big improvement over Knives Out. Uh, really, one of my only criticisms, uh, which is kind of big because he's just in in all of it, is is Craig's uh, accent work here. I mean, it is <laughs> what is this whack ass <laughs> Southern Bell 
tall glass okay. of tea, you know, like, what is this? What is, it's, it's so cartoonish. It seems it's, totally out of, like... Do you think it's even more than Knives Out than the first one? Uh, like, I, I almost, think so, because he's put in different scenarios. Like, he's hamming it up a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> he's making sure we tune in for the third. So, I'll be, I, I didn't like it, and okay. yet at the same time, I loved it. And I was okay. just like, okay, if this is what we're doing, Daniel, yep. go for it. Right, it's right. like, all right, the leash is already off. Yeah, So, yeah. like, have a blast. Yeah. Uh, it is kind of funny to sit down through a whole film of him talking it's like just, that. Yeah, it's, he's doing a Frank Underwood impression, basically. <laughs> yeah, you know? but a bad one. Yeah, yeah over-the-top right, Frank right. Underwood impression. Like, extremely over-the-top. So, <laughs> I mean, I think I think it's kind of a viewer beware note for me. Wasn't my bag. Uh, if you're not bothered by this accent work, if you're not bothered by this, you know, southern gentleman approach to it, I, I think it's fine. It's just It just wasn't my bag. Sure. And unfortunately, that affects the whole baseline of the film <laughs> because he's the he's he's the Sherlock Holmes, you know what I mean? He's he's the one to give the dramatic reveals and everything like that. As far as the setup here, we have a group of elite friends gathering for kind of a, a meta murder mystery party. Uh, on top of that, the most pompous of the group, Ed, Ed Norton's Miles Brown. Uh, he's a character that is kind of this uh, this tech elite uh, certainly nods to Elon and and trying to. I mean, I feel like actually a lot of the characters are more so kind of real life inserts and having some jabs at real life more so than Knives Out, where it was just this kind of eccentric family. That they yeah, the biggest thing is is think of a main personality trait. Yeah, and that's just each individual character. Mm, well said. Is well basically said. how you get it. You have all the different character traits sitting in the room together. Yep. Yeah. I think, excellently said. Uh, the story structure places us. Kind of piecing together the past history of these friends, in addition to the, in addition to the murder mystery itself, which is honestly I thought was pretty great. It's it's nowhere near as successful as Bodies, 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 which is definitely where the bar is set for me as far as doing something creative with these. The who, Agatha, who done it? Yeah, the who done it. Talk about they, another thing that's gained. I mean, the family dramas and this. Yeah, they, absolutely emerging genres, or or, or maybe and I, for, this one's are more of a revival. Right, the know? Agatha Christie stuff definitely with Death on the Nile. They brought back the. Yep. Um, what was the train one that everyone's uh, done? Murder 50, on the Order. <laughs> right. They did that 50 times, but they yeah, brought that back. Death. River on the, uh, Death on the Nile. Yep. That was like a... And, um, See how they run, too. Uh, Ryan, a minor release, but uh, technically a whodunit. R- oh, know? no, big time. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're so right. But Ryan Johnson, I forget what his... He loved reading things growing up mm. and I don't I don't know if it was Agatha Christie or something else sure maybe it was I kind of forget but yeah, yeah. definitely coming from his childhood and in, in like loving this kind of genre yeah, yep. so they all kind of have their own flavor don't they yeah yeah and I think that comes from a very large cast it comes from a variety of cast members you know I think there, yeah. there is enjoyment for that and I think that enjoyment is going to fluctuate drastically viewer to viewer because if out of the wide net that's cast for how many you know actors are in this, if there's one that you really hate or something like that, maybe that could work against the film. That wasn't the case here for me, but uh, again, I, I'm not really super in love with this whodunit type of genre. It's yeah. got to do something unique, you know. It's been around forever, and I think and this being revival hit really is, hard. Yeah, yeah. I see this revival as no different than the star-packed, you know, rom-coms that we get in the 2000s, mm. the year, yearly right, releases right. that has like 17 actors in it. This is basically just a new form of that, honestly. Yeah. Probably for a tax break or some shit. Well, how about... No. <laughs> well, definitely not a tax break for Netflix because <laughs> they're bleeding dry they're because bleeding. of it. It's number one. They put it in your face. It's number one. 
So I have to say, I mean, overall, we're coming across this is the very same way. Yep. The movie I felt was nothing special. Mm. I like seeing Craig on screen. Yep. He is kind of ridiculous. To the <laughs> point. Sometimes I was raising my eyebrow and being like, okay, all right, we're doing this. Yep, yep. Sometimes I was enjoying it. Sure, sure. Um, you know, writing nothing special because that's Ryan Johnson's. I don't think it's anything special, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. But it was very... It was very high production. Yeah. And this was a much brighter. We're kind of set in, I wouldn't say tropics, but we're set kind of around water mm. and we're on an island. Mm-hmm. So it's brighter, it's crisper looking. Yeah. One of the first one were in a dusty old dirty mansion. So yep. the colors are more muted. Mm-hmm. So it's being, it's just nicer to be in that atmosphere. Yep. And for that reason, because of the high production and just what the film is, it is a nice, easy watch. Yeah. Which is kind of a lame overall <laughs> to, umbrella to, to put it under, right, but right. it's true. It's like it's on, yeah, and like I was that. like, all right, I'll throw this on. I, I think it's a good point. And I, I had it on in the back. I was like doing something else. Yeah, I was yeah. just like, it's not that I love this movie at all, but <laughs> all right, I'll throw it on because it's new, it's shiny, and it looks yeah, yeah. nice, and that's just how it is. And Daniel yeah. Craig is there and has got a big cast. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point, though, because that does... That is the the tone of that. That's the medicine that makes this ministry go down. You know, if it's it's the same ho hum, you know, murder mystery mansion or something like that. Well, guess what? We're bored by it by the by the setting alone. This being a new setting, you know, again, it's it's a riff on what is predictable and making it new. This film uses its very large cast effectively, though. You know, Glass Onion has a lot more. Or is more of a comedy than I think Knives Out. And that's in part why I say, you kind of even don't need to bother with Knives Out. Yeah, and basically just know who the character Daniel, like. Yeah, he's, he's a Sherlock Holmes. You know what I mean? He's a master. Right, right. He's a southern Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's all exactly. you have to know about him. He's, he's the problem. And so. he's well known, that's all. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, this is definitely a praise for me, though, oddly enough, uh, for the comedy. Uh, Ryan Johnson's writing seems to have kind of jumped off the deep end a bit, but. Every sprinkle of comedy that you would have seen in Last Jedi or Knives Out uh, that, because it was a sprinkle, felt out of left field, it now plays a much larger role here. And I feel it's a lot more comfortable. I think it also it helps that these performances sell the comedy so much more. Dave Bautista and yeah. Kate Hudson being, yeah. I, think, I would say, a standout, Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah, so... Uh, it's it's uh, maybe to the eyebrow raising part of what you're saying, Tom. You know, it's a lot more pop culture referential. Gets a little that's cringy at times. Uh, yes, I mean, well, if you want to talk cringe, yeah, Ryan Johnson, we could talk cringy. We could talk about the Last Jedi all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as that, it's definitely lighter. Something that you're gonna have a smirk on your face, maybe a little bit more yeah. than Knives Out. Mm-hmm. That's also, I think, why Daniel Craig's accent is a little bit more palatable exactly because we're just in this oh this is the world that we're set in okay fine instead of uh, johnson weaving in these these small beats of comedy i think the shell is comedy and it makes it all work a little bit i think big time in combination again i think a lot of credit goes to batista and and hudson for for their acting performances because they really i mean they they sell some really genuinely funny moments yeah batista's great in it i I really i love batista I, i it's weird because nothing's supposed to, like you said, nothing's supposed to be serious. I would not even call this a drama. Mm-hmm. I would call this a straight comedy whodunit. Okay. You know what I mean? I think that's totally fair. I mean, and, and in that, we already know that there's going to be, you know, some type of death or mystery or whatever. Yep. But yep. overall, it is a comedy. And that's why play the characters a little silly, a little ridiculous. Yeah. That's what yep. sells Bautista. Yep. And I think yep. that's what makes Craig okay. I would definitely not go into this thinking you're going to get any type of real, real mystery. drama right, or crime. Right. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you're watching a comedy, really. And maybe that's the way to go, because guess what? It's always going to boil down to something formulaic. It's always the first person you expect, you know, I mean, as far as a killer in these kind of, you know, Agatha Christie things. So, right, right. Um, I think that's also another slight impl- improvement over Knives Out and, and the slew of other, you know, modern whodunits, um, is that how the mystery is structured. I already said, you know, we're unpacking the friends a little bit. And I don't love the sub subgenre, but I think it always boils down to the double gotcha. I honestly don't know if there's a writing term for this or not, but the double gotcha of oh, you think it's someone, and then guess what? We got gotcha, you. We can you make know? something up. You want to call? We'll just start calling it that. Double, double gotcha. gotcha. I think that's great. Unless we can come up with something. <laughs> I wrote it myself. Yeah, producers, write in if you have anything more clever. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> but double gotcha is good. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, this here once again with how it's structured, how it's edited, it's switching that up a little bit, and and for the better. I think this is. I was surprisingly excited walking away from this film to see what may be coming for the third entry as well, just because of how much he switched up the game here. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't know the plot for me, like the overall (laughs) story. eh, I thought we were spoon-fed a little bit too much. Right, right. And I thought... Oh, you think more left to the imagination. Yeah, especially with the first one, too. It's Mm, like, can we kind of be in on the mystery? Mm. You're not really on the... You're not... In the mystery too much, actually, in the first one. Mm-hmm. Things are a little bit too telling you things. Too mm-hmm. much, re- too revealing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't... I, I have no strong opinions of sure, it. Sure. And that's... Like I said, the only strong opinions I have is I don't like Ryan Johnson. Okay. I, I find it. Ryan Johnson... I don't know. This this movie ended up in my algos, even after watching it. Oh, yeah. Where it, it was but just... Netflix really pushing it out. Yeah. But even, like, my YouTube videos are oh, just really? like... Okay. Yeah. Just, like, deeper stuff and, like, finding more about it and... And Ryan Johnson breaking stuff down. Um, Ryan (laughs) Ryan Johnson thinks he's so much better than he actually Mm. is. He will take the most basic shots that anyone would set up and shoot (laughs) and will break them down to a point where he thinks like he's a genius. And it's just like... No, it's just like you could talk about it, how great yep, it is and how yep. like magical. It's just like, but this is what every single other person would do. Also, I think he's a bit of a creep. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. So Hot takes from Tom. <laughs> I think Ryan Johnson. Are you sure you're not giving a, a Tommy two shoes? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Ryan Johnson is a bit of a creep. Yeah. He's, and he thinks he's too good for his own good. Yeah. I think what helped this film wasn't Ryan Johnson at all, but was the actors and was the um a little bit of film editing. Yeah, the editing I liked a lot. I and, think and, pacing as and well. And set designer. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. Costume, set. Yeah, it, co- it that's right. Kind of Cost- a visual feast. A costume and set. Right. It's, again, I like the setting of being on this island. Yep. The, the poppy colors. Yep, just yep. the wardrobe kind of changes. Mm-hmm. More enjoyable than that dusty mansion that you were Absolutely. in in Nimes Out. So there's the clue a, formula. So the will. things I come across liking or smiling about really has nothing to do with Johnson. Yeah, I think and, I think he does have a hand in in the comedy shell of, of the Onion, if you will. He did write it. I mean, you he know? wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Which was fine. Generic, but I think but it's fine. a it's a two uh, two to tango type of scenario that uh, it would be nowhere without some serious good comedic uh, performances as well. You know, to actually sell it. Like for instance, if we had apples to apples, same cast from Knives Out, I don't think the comedy would have been sold. Uh, I don't. I don't think uh, really. Even yeah. with like a Chris Evans and yeah, I I just don't think well, it would have th- been there. I do have to say our main female lead mm-hmm. I think was better. Uh, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, Janelle Mona. Uh, yes, Monet. Monet. Sorry, she was better. I liked her as lead female over Dayarmis lead female. Mm, Even though Dayarmis had this kind of cute and bubbly kind of uh, naiveness to yep, her. Yep. 
and Janelle Monae is playing more definitely of a she's she's a character she's more in competent. The game. Yeah, she's a very much more competent character. Yeah, yeah. She so has they, a part to play. Definitely different, but she was enjoyable to be with yeah, along you know, as, as a main lead. I would say. Yeah. So and, and I mean we're definitely hitting on the same notes. I mean I think there is uh, a progression here, which uh, as as a as a you know as an appreciator of of film uh, as just a general movie watcher as someone that might throw this on Netflix, you know, when you're eating something, I think that I'm walking away with a positive take on, on Glass Onion. You know, I think uh, it's it's a subgenre already done to death, and these little changes in visual uh, language, in editing, in comedy, they're things to switch it up and show progression for Johnson. So, uh, I love, the, Tom, you, you sharpened the axe for me for Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had to take you, the last You swing. killed him. I, I gave you the axe, and you did it for me. I didn't even have to. But, I, I you know, uh, it is... <laughs> I, I took <laughs> I took Last Jedi very personally, and uh, I've been kind of a hater of Johnson. Um, he's done some good stuff earlier, but good stuff. He, Looper was fine. And Looper's fine. Yeah, I, 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 you know, they got some cool gun design in Looper. That's why. <laughs> That's why I like it. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, honestly, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with this because I saw Johnson. In a point of development, he was. This is not resting on his laurels. This is not big payday from Netflix. Let's pump out, you know, carbon copies. Well, it is big payday. <laughs> it but, is big payday, but uh, he's yeah. at least using not it. cash grab. He actually loves Bingo. these old novels, and he cares about it exactly. Yeah. And and I think that was enough for me to say, yeah, this uh, this I think is is well above first knives out, and not only that, uh, fairly excited to see what else comes down the pipeline. We're gonna go ahead and give Glass Onion a sixty-eight. Yeah, sixty-eight, pretty good. Where we, I don't have much disagreement. Ballpark, time two shoes. Or you think north or south of that? I would be well. Again, it's tough with the shoes because <laughs> it's such wide ranging. Right, it's but such I would a, such a new. I would probably come down a, a little bit below that. Okay, but All like right, honestly, fair. if if I were if I didn't know you and I came up, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it does. My negativity is towards more so the guy. And right. not so much the film. Right, right, right. I, and well I, and there were aspects, yeah. There were parts of smiling and you walk away with that. Not, be, I didn't walk away from this being annoyed. Right. I walked away from this and be like, oh, it was cute. Yeah. It was all right. Exactly. And also, I mean, if it was on the background, you know, maybe give it a fair shake. Right, yeah. If I cared dishes? more. What were you I, doing? <laughs> I forget what I was Rapid doing. Rapid presents? <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, I think a 68 is a great... A, a yeah, totally yeah. reasonable score. I think that's fair. I'm bringing it up a lot this week just mm-hmm. because... Ah, people are loving this film. Like, oh, yeah. I say don't buy into this garbage <laughs> from multiple sites, like multiple sites. If only to maybe just counteract some of the praise. Where, where, are, you, where are you feeling there? I'm feeling the praise is way too high. Just way too high. Oh, my God. It's stupid. It's Yeah, the praise is unbelievably too high. Like, it's it's a decent movie, but you're saying it's just like, all right, don't Yeah, I mean, again, I, I guess I'm skipping around it because we always – we hit we, – Shit on the same people every yeah, time. Yeah, for but sure. But some of the biggest players, obviously, are Rotten Tomatoes and Metascore. Yep, yep. Or Metacritic, okay? I'm sorry, Glass Onion and 81 Metascore? That's a very, very good for score. For meta? Getting wow. into the 80s in meta is wow. not quite as big of a deal as us, yeah. but it is a good movie. Oh, for sure. Uh, it has 93 audience and critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. And wow. folks... Just no, no coming into it. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie. That's a 68. Right. Hey, that's a pretty good movie. Yeah. But don't expect anything more than exactly. that. Exactly. Um, so, don't expect, yeah, I like know, this the 68. best thing ever or something. Yeah, and again, yeah. not, to, I understand we're always, we're always, you know, 
going after the main two guys. In it, but it's what we, you know, we got it. it's got to be pointed out. It's ridiculous. Okay, now we spent enough time on that. Let's go into this one. This is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro. <laughs> you, love, you love this double take. <laughs> um, I watched this as well. Really? I'm excited to discuss it with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Very nice. But let's get, it's an, this is PG, an hour and 57 minutes. Obviously, del Toro's take. Netflix is now take on this on this Disney property. Yep, yep. Uh, weird how it all came out the same year as Zemeckis' Pinocchio on oh. Disney+. Plus. It's hilarious that you have to, to compare these two. Yeah, it really is. Uh, but overall, let's talk about just this film. Let's yeah. not talk about too much oh, for Lost sure. and Sauce in the old one. Absolutely. It's such its own unique product compared to the one that came out prior. <laughs> Absolutely. This is more of a comparison to the book, I feel like, than even original Pinocchio, you know? Well, there you go. Let's get into it. Yep. How? What are we taking on this journey through an hour and fifty-seven? So, uh, I, I would say, man, uh, I was super excited to see this. You know, despite already re- renewing reviewing a Pinocchio this year, uh, I love stop motion to death. Del Toro, I think he works best in weird fantasy, and honestly, the tone of this film looked to be something looked to be doing something original uh, with a children's story, which uh, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm here for. Del Toro said this was a passion project for him, and the original book has importance in his life, uh, but this is a, a, a much, much darker spin, as you probably expect coming from this director. I would say the best way I can give an elevator pitch to this is this is a dark fantasy about a little boy made of pine and is in a historically accurate pre-World War II world. Um, One of the most, I think, brilliant decisions of this film is the realism of its setting, despite being a dark fantasy. I mean, full of magic and fairy godmothers and yada yada. Mm -hmm. 1930s Italy is taken very literally and infused in every element of this plot, and I can't tell you how much I love that. (laughs) It is so awesome. It is so cool. And, you know... I, I kind of have some notes of, does this really need to be PG? You know what I mean? this I, I feel like this could really fit a nice PG-13 slot or something like that. Uh, it's I, also straight to Netflix, so I No, nah, I think a PG fits it. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. It might be a hard PG. Sure. I think PG-13, I mean, really saying that you should be 13 watching this, mm, no, yeah, yeah, it, no it's, it's cool for 10-year-olds still. Yeah. It's, it's soft enough. Yeah. Where you're saying it's darker, I completely agree. We're still dealing with Pinocchio mm-hmm. and the character of Pinocchio himself. Uh, you're going to be cracking some smiles. Oh, yeah. Like he is, it's like it is. It's like being with a puppy at times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. With the innocence of it all. Absolutely. Um, he really has no recollection of his life. <laughs> he's just he's just born into this world as a child. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, had me, it actually it really had me enjoying it. Yeah. It really cuts through the movie like butter a little bit. Yep. Because you're dealing with interesting dark theming. And then just kind of to be brought back, having the smile and enjoying it. It's like having a bad day and coming home to a puppy. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And, and Geppetto has one hell of a bad day. So, <laughs> you know, frankly, I want to stay away from elaborating how much a historically accurate Italy plays into the plot. But let me say, it was amazing. I, I mean, Pinocchio goes into the church at one moment and a, a woman holds up the evil eye uh, and she says, Malocchia. I and mean, that's like old school Italian <laughs> witchcraft. Like 
Del Toro is killing it with this. He's killing it. <laughs> Writing-wise, I was really happy to see Patrick McHale. Uh, first feature he's writing on. He is talent from Adventure Time, Over the Garden Wall, and I cannot wait to see more from him because clearly he's able to work in kind of a dark children's fantasy, uh, especially leaning more towards Over the Garden Wall. If you've never seen it, watch it. Uh, a very good animation. And, it, and kids as well. It's funny. I didn't know. I knew that Guillermo del Toro co-wrote it i knew he had other writers along yep. with him yep. um i didn't know that was his background though and yeah that is it makes so much sense now yeah, absolutely even some adventure time stuff i mean big are you kidding? a big time yeah, adventure absolutely. time like big time yeah yeah so uh, wow that's, excited that's to good. see more because this was first feature i believe so excited to see him crack into more opportunities and, and be exciting opportunities yeah, yeah too. definitely so i think my gut feeling is that just stripping disney from the story of a story that was originally not disney was the single best thing that could happen for this you know, this is appropriately whimsical at times. This is appropriately dark at times. And it's all weird when it needs to be, you know. It still accomplishes this with songs. And I'll say maybe losing some of the Disney polish to songs is a miss. But uh, I don't think the songs were uh, a failure at all. Were they maybe at the quality of there are no strings attached to me. I mean, like, quite literally cultural icons sometimes with this. Um, yeah. You know, When You Wish Upon a Star. You know what I mean? These are, these yeah. are big songs from Disney. So cutting that from the story, it was kind of hard to ignore for me, but I definitely thought uh, cutting out Disney was the single best thing this film could have done. You know, done. it's such a shame. I mean, you think about how much Disney has been in, forget, like, all the Disney, the politics, which mm-hmm. is which has been a huge thing over the past year or two. Forget that. Yeah. Just the filmmaking itself coming from Disney, it's really sad that... You're dealing with this intellectual property, mm-hmm. the oldest or second oldest that oh, Disney really dealt absolutely. with. It was like, yeah, second or something. And I'm sad that it's not with Disney. I'm sad that some of those songs aren't there. Like, mm-hmm. it, it probably could be knocked a little bit because of just that. It's talk about classic, classic absolutely. with those songs. The yep. fact that they came out with the Pinocchio this year with Zemeckis <laughs> and Hanks, and it was just not I good know. at all. I know. The fact that this exists, I'm so happy about. Yeah. I mean, it really is. I'm not rethinking Del Toro, mm. but I, oh, I, he said it, <laughs> no. folks. If you don't know, Tom has two axes to grind this episode, <laughs> and one's definitely for Guillermo. So I'm putting this in its own box, okay. okay? And every time this movie comes up in my head, anytime we call back to it or talk about it, yep. I can be in complete reverence about it, complete love, and Apart- talk very fondly about Del Toro yeah. in the box of Guillermo Del Toro's <laughs> Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Everything else. Still remains the same about my criticisms of Del, Del Toro. I'll crack that. I'll crack that box open. We'll get there. Uh, <laughs> this balancing that failed in so many of the movies that we've talked about, well, not so many uh, movies, sure, but sure. the balancing that failed in things like Babylon or maybe even the Fablemans a little mm, bit, Strange mm. World with trying to bring in different aspects mm. into that children's category yep, yep. that was such a bad balance. Mm-hmm. This was unbelievable. Like you said, dealing with old Italy, dealing with those dark, dark themes, yeah. dealing with the dark themes around Geppetto himself. Yes. Like, what, the day he, the yeah. bad day he Incredible. had. It was unreal. And yeah. it was refreshing. It was beautiful looking. Mm-hmm. I mean, beautiful looking. The stop mm-hmm. motion was incredible. Yeah. Through all the animation that we're getting hit with constantly now, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. with streaming services. Sure. Uh, this is such a shining light and something that I hope gets picked up by a lot of people. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Don't sleep on it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, animation wise, let's definitely touch on this. You know, I, I mean, I thought this was really excellent animation. Yeah. Uh, stop motion animation, that is. Uh, apparently, it's the Jim Henson Company. Uh, from Jim Hansen, <laughs> that is doing animation design, and I think they just killed it here. I mean, this looks better than the Henry Selleck film that we reviewed, and 
I will confidently say Henry Selick is the king of stop motion animation. At least that's alive. So right, yeah. You know, when it comes to uh, Del Toro, first crack, Jim Henson Company, first crack at stop motion animation, they came out swinging. They killed this production. I thought it was amazing. It was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, beautiful. The designs are just so gorgeous. Um, the fairy godmother has like biblical angel eyes on her. Like it's I know. so awesome. But even the texture and like Geppetto and the way yeah. his hair looks, mm-hmm. you know, everything about that, it was like, this is nice to see. This has, it yeah. looked clay. I mean, sometimes it looked like clay yeah. and clay animation mm-hmm. and other times just straight digital, but all very pretty, all yeah. working really well together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, kind of ending on some notes with Pinocchio, I think is a perfect example. You know, he's more wood-like than ever. They take advantage of yes. Pinocchio being a wire frame. If you think about the production of stop motion, how creatively can they move this figurine? Uh, I think a great example is the first steps he takes. He like walks like a spider initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's kind of terrifying as well <laughs> but were you getting any james uh, of the giant peachish vibes oh definitely okay Absolutely. all right it and, wasn't and just me for the stop motion as, uh, aspect of yeah, that, yeah 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 for know. sure but that's selic as well you get a weirdness from it you know what i mean yes. that weirdness from a movie yeah and this in all the good ways yeah uh but to pinocchio's kind of comedic relief so much of it comes down to the way he moves yep yeah because it's just like, it's hilarious yeah. yeah and the fact that we're getting jokes around the stop motion i mean this is really Top, top of the line. Yeah. Out of nowhere, top of the line. This really uh, did come up out of, I mean, do we know how long he worked on this? I don't. And the animators had and everything I don't. like that. I even had trouble finding out some of the details with the involvement of the Jim Henson company of, you know, was it Just Design? Was what was the both? last thing that company did? Do we know? Uh, some a of their lot. history? Okay. Uh, but obviously okay. connection to Muppets and whatnot. For right, Jim right. Henson, okay. So. But uh, I, I really, I mean, there, there's a lot of gush here. There's a lot of praise, uh, folks. Uh, and all of this is to say one overwhelming thought that I had while watching this. Del Toro and his team wiped the floor with Disney's own IP in the same year they took a shot at it. We're going to go ahead and give Guillermo Del Toro's Pinocchio an 83. Wow, 83. Really good score. Yep, yep. I had to control myself because, again, I have such I, a love for the the Italian beats of it. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and an and old world Italian beat. Uh, do yeah, you think if but, it had the original songs in it and they incorporated I, that, do you think it probably would have bumped it up a bit? Absolutely. Because you know me, I hate songs in movies sure, typically, and sure. it was like that's that's why I would raise it up for me personally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But because it's Pinocchio, it's yes, Pinocchio. Exactly. We're talking about you know, really notable songs. I think it was more so. I again, I didn't dislike the the ones that were there it was just more so unfortunate I, I couldn't it was distracting a bit i couldn't i couldn't especially when he goes to the circus not having no strings attached to me as the song a, yeah like i a, definitely noticed a it. lost connection kind exactly. of there exactly wow 83 is a great score it's a great movie I mean, uh, a very good score uh, give me it what, what's talking to you <laughs> he's been given half shoes <laughs> I be, I was struggling on even if i wanted to give this fair a tommy two shoes fair enough i i, I will give one okay a big struggle, actually, believe it or not, between two shoes, one laced, and two shoes, both laced. Wow, wow. But after thinking about it a little bit more, this yep. gets two shoes, one lace tied. Okay, Love Which it. is very good. Absolutely. And in fact, it's kind of agreeing with you. I would say, like you, if you were feeling just a slightly better about it, and if yep. I was slightly better, you know, you'd probably bump it in that 80, 85. Right. And right. I would bump it into two shoes, two laces. Yep, yep. Coming away from this, I don't know. I'm going to give it one more watch because, unfortunately, I had to watch this a little bit cut up and separated. Okay, like, for enough. instance, I had to finish this this morning. Sure, But sure. I wanted to watch it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and talk about it with you. I'm going to probably watch this in the next week or so. Mm. I don't think I'll really return to it again. Mm. 
it's so unique and it was so nice to be in this film mm-hmm. and kind of in the environment of this film, enjoying it for what it is. Mm-hmm. But it is a little weird. It has this kind of darkness to it. It oh, tells yeah. this story and then once when it wraps up, it that's kind of I almost it's its own little pack. I don't know. It's one of the first movies in a long time that I felt I watched it. Absolutely loved it, and you feel like you have a bit of a connection with mm-hmm. it, but one that I don't want to return to again. That didn't have rewatchability. I think or it's not a even rewatchability. Note. It's that I personally don't want to return to it. Yeah, and I don't yeah. know what it is. You know, there's mm. films that, for instance, Glass Onion has rewatchability, but not really. I don't, I don't right, love it like right. I love this film. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And part of that is also why I loved it. This yep. unique feel that you got from it. This mm-hmm. refreshing aspect. But a movie that once when it's done, I feel like I can let it rest there. Yeah. You know? And maybe one that you're excited to recommend, but again, just for yourself, you know, it's, 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 you gotta watch it for yourself one time. Maybe not something to return to right. or something like that. I, I agree. I, there, there is something to that. Hard to put into words, but there's a, there's a gut feeling. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. I've heard actually people talk about that. I've had, I think two people I, I heard mm-hmm. had that about The Revenant. Oh, really? They saw it in the theater, saw it once, and don't, feel loved it sure truly loved it don't want to return to it again uh, a topic of the misery films that we've been covering oh recently, yeah you know? definitely yeah, definitely like, you know watch it once get it done <laughs> get, get the medicine down but i can't say how happy i am that this film exists i love that del toro did it i yeah. hate that his name is in the title <laughs> truly hate that his name is in the title it deserves to just be pinocchio but I, I do, yeah, I really wish they actually could have called it something else. Kind yeah, of yeah. a little bothersome, but maybe I don't know the original author. You know, yeah, but yeah. So after after hope, hopefully, people hearing this, uh, they give it a watch as well. Your eighty three yes. is huge. Just talking yeah. about it, uh, it's definitely special. It's definitely great. It should be noted too. Del Toro meant this to be the kind of the third and final in this in his self perceived trilogy that he did. Yeah, this is fascinating. We were talking yeah, about this. Yeah, this Pan's Labyrinth and the Devil's uh, Devil's Backbone. And the Devil's Backbone. Yep. He thinks really pair well together in their own little trilogy. Yeah. Uh it's fascinating. Uh you know, you can almost see if you can see the connections and what he tries to go in if you don't feel like letting him tarnish of why he thinks that. Mm, Be mm-hmm. interested for you to go ahead and watch those yeah, and see yeah. the connection points. Yeah. Uh, a beautiful and interesting film, though. Yeah, absolutely. And I see a connection with Devil's Backbone, just kids with, like, very harsh realities. Sure, yeah. Uh, here, uh, but, you know, Pan's Labyrinth, it's going to be on the on the watch list for the next couple of weeks, because I'm, I'm unlike you, I am on a Del Toro high coming off of this. You never uh, got... You never you got... You've been. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> We're watching them all. <laughs> well, good. I can't say I'm going to watch Pan's Labyrinth. Uh... <laughs> But yeah, I knew I was excited to watch this and talk about it with you. I am so glad. Yeah. In a box or not, I'm, I'm glad that you love it. Oh, it's it. in a box. Yeah. Because <laughs> next week, yeah, Grinding Nemo always came out with and all that stuff. So we don't have to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> His Oscar win? Shape of Water. Grinding Nemo. <laughs> okay. Shape of Water is great. So, yeah, won the Oscar. Um,. <laughs> Okay, Vin, looking at these scores here, anything else you want to finish up on? Um, anything you want to touch on, or are we going to roll credits here? No, I, we, we ran long. I, I, I'm actually, I loved how much uh, we, we had to talk about these films. I mean, we ran long in a very legitimate way that, yeah. <laughs> you know, we had and a lot all, to say. They're all new releases, pretty much, too. Yeah, yeah. We should go long on some yeah, of these. Absolutely. But, um, but thanks for. Uh, 
uh, a solid 2022. Here's to 2023, and uh, and and Tom Daly's coming. Yes, sir. We hope to grow and continue on here in 2023. Enjoy and really enjoy the the, the episode next week. Uh, it's it, it's a blast. It's our year in review, kind of touching on things, and of course the big Tom Daly's. <laughs> we have some fun, re- you know, some little awards and everything yeah, like yeah. that that we'll give out as well. It's a good time, so catch up with that. Uh, we'll be back with Vin covering some movies two weeks from now. But for right now, we have The Fablemans with a 65%, Babylon with a 39 Strange World with a 52 Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery with a 68 and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio by Guillermo del Toro with an 83%. Folks, we thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. <laughs> you enjoyed the podcast if you would could you, could you give us a good rating or tell a friend about us i'll get it right in 2023 if you're wondering if a film is worth the watch or if you just like to see more movie ratings from vince be sure to stop by the dailyratings.com where we have our ever-expanding catalog of films also if you found value in the podcast or our site become a producer and go to the donations tab on the dailyratings.com you can donate whatever amount of value you feel you received from us We're looking to build this into something large and great, folks, but also be independent from those corporate sponsors. So we greatly appreciate any support from you all. So thanks so much, and we'll see you next time on the Daily Ratings Podcast.